Homestyle Green, episode 44. Here's one wiki that definitely won't be leaky. It's Wiki House. G'day and welcome back to Homestyle Green. I am your host, Matthew Cutler-Welsh, and it is a pleasure to have you listening to the show. I've just got off a fantastic Skype interview with two guys down in Christchurch. And you may have heard of things like Linux, Firefox, um, might have heard of Drupal, Joomla, even things like Android, um, the operating system for a lot of smartphones. These are all examples of open source software, which means that people can come in and fiddle about with the, the underlying software and make changes. Wikipedia is also an example where people can upload stuff and it gets anyone can edit that as well so it's creative commons people putting stuff in there in a creative way and other allowing others to use it to take it to change it and adapt it and improve it and those systems are becoming more familiar we're becoming more comfortable with them at the same time and be, and be probably because they are becoming more reliable more robust, more sustainable from a business point of view. People are running businesses with those types of open source systems in existence. They're also very flexible and they're quite high performance as well. A lot of powerful companies, a lot of big companies are relying on these open source systems. So what has that got to do with the building? Well, what if you could have a house that relies on a similar sort of shared system? of IP knowledge, of creativity, and of collaboration. Well, that is essentially what WikiHouse is all about. And it's fantastic that New Zealand is leading the charge from Christchurch in a lot of ways in the WikiHouse project. Now, these two guys, they met on Twitter. They were inspired by a TED Talk. And literally, they are now out to change the world by design. So I hope you enjoy this interview. It's quite long and I apologize for that, but these guys are so passionate and we're talking about some such great stuff that I didn't want to cut them off uh, too short. So enjoy the show and uh, we'll catch up with you later. Today I'm talking with Danny Squires and Martin Luff who are in New Brighton in Christchurch. How are you guys? Yeah, Um, good. Yeah, good. (laughs) <laughs> pleased to speak to you, Matthew. Yeah. Well, I'm very pleased to have you on the show because I've just really come across your project. So before we get into that, Danny, can you start off and maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and what your current passion is and, and why you're doing what you're doing? Okay. So I'm um, originally from Australia. I came out to Christchurch about uh, nine years ago with, with my wife and young family and uh, I'd been working as an architect up until then, but um, I sort of got a bit disillusioned with the industry and I was very much looking for a way of putting a social and environmental agenda into a a very commercial world and and had been frustrated constantly at um, my attempts to do so. So I'd sort of just come over here and had a bit of a break and ended up falling into a manufacturing position with digital fabrication and CNC cutting yep. and that totally changed the way I thought about 
Uh, it gave me a vehicle, really, to to um, put these ideas I'd carried about sustainable design and about how social architecture can can be for the benefit of a wider range of people rather than just a a narrow base of, of clients who can afford an architect's services. I believe passionately that design can deliver better outcomes for, for a wide variety of people, not, not just for those who can afford it. Design can deliver better outcomes. It's a, it sounds like a great philosophy for, for architectures. Um, and what about yourself, Martin? Yeah, so kind of an interesting background, really. So my original training was as a 3D designer and uh, product design, and I and then after that went into industrial design, five years in construction, and then I was happily, happily toddling along for about 18 years in a um, whole range of innovative digital projects. And then the earthquakes hit, and I, I guess I observed um, a whole load of shortcomings in our built environment that were cruelly exposed um, and that also got me to look uh, at the wider issues we're facing in terms of our built environment around um, unaffordable homes, cold homes, leaky homes, and especially for the people at the bottom, bottom end of the ladder in many ways. Mm. And um, I guess my, my feeling was I had um, enough skills to do something about this. And then when I met up with Danny, I felt you know there was a combination of skills here to really um, not just make a small amount of improvement, to, but to to really take a huge step forward and see if we could do something about the issues that we're observing. Um, and so, yeah, my passion at the moment is WikiHouse, the WikiHouse project. Um, yep. We spent about six months um, researching all sorts of potential different solutions. So we, we didn't want to, as I say, just have this incremental improvement. We wanted to search out something which we felt had the potential to just move the whole agenda forward in a, hugely, really. Um, in terms of addressing those shortfalls that we'd observed in our built environment. And I guess also I was, I was frustrated by two other things. Um, immediately post-quake, I went out like a whole load of other people did and volunteered wherever they could. Um, yeah. We worked flat out as, for as hard as we could, and there's still many people doing that. Um, but, but the observation was that we just didn't have the tools required to make a big enough I impact um, with the time we had available. And also some of the other solutions that were being proposed from, if you like, the traditional sources just seemed like um, one, uh, not worse than not a step forward. They just seemed like a step backward. Mm, uh, mm. In particular, I grew up in London where I saw a lot of the so-called temporary solutions put in place after the war. Uh, we're still there 35 years later. And, and, uh, and the problem with a lot of those potential, those temporary, so-called temporary solutions is that because they're seen as temporary solutions, they're not built to last, um, but they end up being in place for a long time. So my passion was about addressing all those issues, I guess. And I guess the, the thing that brought us together from that was the question, surely we can do better than this. Yeah, we're in the 21st century now and we're being given 19th century solutions to our problems. Yeah, yeah, perfect. And, uh, you know, not perfect to live in, obviously, but that's a perfect <laughs> summary of what I think a lot of New Zealanders are facing, not just in Christchurch, but across the whole country. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I mean, we saw, we saw it as, a, as a, a very broad, we wanted to make as broad an impact as possible with, with the solutions we're proposing. So the earthquakes really just became a catalyst for addressing some of these um, wicked issues. Yep. Yeah. So exactly how did you guys find each other? Well, it, it happened through Twitter and um, the old Twitter. 
Yeah, so, <laughs> through conversations around the, the TEDx um, Earthquake Christchurch event that, that was being organised down here, you know, in the months after the earthquakes. And, and we didn't actually meet up on the day in person, but after that we got together and sort of thought, well, between us we've got this wide range of skills, we, we've got this passion for, for creating good, lasting change that benefits as many people as possible. So what, what can we do to to um, create some solutions around this. Right. And did you know about WikiHouse at that time? <clears throat> no, what, what we set out to do, we, we um, met up and we thought, oh, let's, let's have a look at, at what's around, you know, cast the net far and wide. We, we searched, you know, on the internet and read a lot of books and talked to, to quite a few people and... and we originally started out, as a lot of people did in Christchurch, thinking about high-end container conversion solutions because there was a hell of a lot of shipping containers being put up in Christchurch in the first six months after the earthquakes. And, and, and again, a lot still there. Yes, and, and they've all been done with a very low spec and, and um, not in a true sense of a prefab. And we thought, well, there's a hell of a lot of overseas examples of, of doing it better and that, that's what we wanted to do we wanted to, to build a better way yep and and um, we came across the WikiHouse project about sort of five or six months into to just it was all just part-time at this stage and and we had our, our day jobs and we're continuing on to sort of as best we can in what they call the new normal yeah. in Christchurch <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know the the WikiHouse came onto our radar not soon after it was launched. In fact, I think within that week, a friend on Twitter tipped us off to it. And, um, good old Twitter again. Yeah, <laughs> it, uh, It's an amazing forum because you, you can open your uh, world up to the whole lot of different influences you never would have considered. So it was, it was Roger Dennis who actually tipped it off to uh, uh, tipped us off to this particular project. Um, so he's an international consultant. And I think about a week after he tipped us off to this project, we went and had a look. Uh, probably independently, I think, actually. And about a week afterwards, I think we simultaneously messaged each other and just said, oh, I can't get this thing out of our mind. Right. You know, so although it's really early stage and it's really just about potential, um, it's got so much potential to just change everything um, that we got really excited about it. And I guess it, it was from that point onwards. I would also say there was one other quite influential meeting. So um, Kieran Timberlake, um, which is a, a globally influential um, architectural company, came as part of um, a series of talks and they did a presentation at um, CPIT. And I think also that was another trigger point for us to really yeah. have a look at modern prefab, the, be the best of modern um, kit built or prefab ideas around the world. So I think there were, there were a couple of things that really sort of triggered. Yeah, well, one of the things that came out of that Kieran Timberlake lecture was that it, with boats, with planes, with electronics, we're all evolved the way we build these things really rapidly in the past 50 to 100 years, but we're still building houses like we did in our grandfathers. Yes, yes. And so that's, he, yeah. it, um, as a James Timberlake came with the idea of, of um, assembly and disassembly and a building of high-quality parts that could easily be put together and reconfigured and, and changed and adapted to as the uses and needs change. So we, we saw that as a really exciting way of thinking about how buildings could go together in, in a different way. And also he was making the point that 
you, you can drive your car, you know, for 100,000 kilometers in a year through storms and rain and everything else, and it doesn't leak. <laughs> but our home, which is a much simpler structure, which sits on the ground, somehow we, we seem incapable of building that structure. So it, <laughs> you know, it stays dry. <laughs> and, and the car is such an appropriate analogy there because often I've heard the comparison of what if their house, a house design today looked and had progressed in the same way that car design has over the last 100 years. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think a lot of architects have posed that question, but it's it's more of a philosophical debate to have around the the water cooler than to any, anything practical until we start talking about this international connection. And that's something else we've talked about on this show before, is about how influential things like social media can be and connecting up ideas and learning from what's going on overseas. Because I think in New Zealand, we're quite often guilty of trying to reinvent the wheel so this is really exciting that it's actually an acknowledgement of something that's going on overseas and it's it's new and exciting and still relevant to New Zealand at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I guess um, what also what's happening with the WikiHouse project just wouldn't have been possible even, say, five, five years, years ago. ago yeah. yeah. So so there's it's that critical mishmash of... Um, open open projects so one of the aspects that's very very important to us is the open source aspect of this yep. is this kind of recognition that at the end of the day we're all whenever we um, create something so-called uh, original in many ways we never we never actually do that you know we're entirely dependent upon the entire learning that's been created before we come up with that new idea yeah and that actually also just openly sharing those ideas we can move much more rapidly than we've ever been able to before yeah. and those communication technologies then are, are able to support that as well Absolutely. and i think even beyond that actually i think we've got to the stage in time where possibly if we don't actually recognize we're all in a very serious situation and actually openly share um our solutions and, and build on each other's ideas and not try and protect those ideas um but openly collaborate and help each other then we could be in a situation where we're, we're just going to keel over anyway. <laughs> I think one of, one of the main things that inspired us was, and I'll probably get it wrong, but the Albert Einstein quote of that we can't solve today's problems using yesterday's thinkings. Yep, yep. As architects who essentially rely on generating income through IP and your own ideas, does that well, concept scare you? We're, we're, well, firstly, we're not architects. <laughs> um, I'm trained in architecture, but I'm not a registered right. architect. Um, Martin's a got product, a, a, product and a industrial product design. design. No, we so we're, we're very much more manufacturers. And, Hello to all those architects right. out there. <laughs> <laughs> so um, nothing against architecture, yeah. but um, we, because that's what we are creating architecture. Yep. yep. But, uh, I mean, there's a whole lot of legal restrictions around using the term architect too. Sure. So we have to be careful about that. But but what we do, what we say to people is we're not actually building anything. We're, we're making things. We're making things and they just happen to be buildings. Mm -hmm. but, but they go and it's that whole philosophy of, of putting things together in a, in a highly accurate and, and manufactured factory way but, but with a twist to it as well, which we'll probably get to a bit later. Uh, the, that you can control the quality and preciseness of it and therefore the performance increases by an order of magnitude. Yeah, what, what we're aiming to do with the WikiHouse system is drive it to a passive house level type of performance as a, as a standard rather right, than right. As, a, a, as an aspiration. So, But I think coming back to your question, I think there's some really interesting things around the WikiHouse and one 
um, point that's been made here is that certainly for architecture and one of the um, a couple of the co-founders of the organization so Alistair Parvin who's kind of the public face of the global WikiHouse project I mean he's architect trained and, and works as an architect um, but one of the, the key points he's made is that architects generally are fighting over an every ever diminishing um, slice of the market in, in mm. fact globally you know even in developed countries only around about two percent of the buildings that are built um, involve architects um, so they're actually fighting over an increasingly small market sector and so you know in many ways their traditional income model is is deeply threatened in the first place and also by using a system like WikiHouse, you actually open it up to the other 98%. So you you may not need to say the, the same level of fees from your individual clients, but by taking a small amount of income off a um, huge number of people um, and increasing your market dramatically from 2% to 98%, or if, you, if you're if using the global picture, because this is a global project, probably from less than 1% <laughs> to yeah. 99 and a bit percent, and I, then it changes the whole equation. Right. And I think... So from, from my experience working in the architecture industry for, for um, on close on 10 years was that the design profession of architecture is becoming more and more marginalised and that's where architects actually are trained to add the most value but that is being stripped by the, the traditional developer-driven procurement process. The, the, the first thing that gets cut is, oh, we don't need this 10% design, what's mm-hmm. that really adding? But any architect knows that design is where you add the most value and it, it covers many times more than the fees that are charged. Yep. But the market has um, become so focused on short-term bottom line outcomes and just single bottom line that, that these things get lost and the, mm. and, and the architecture profession is being backed into a corner and, and becoming just another sub-consultant where before the... The architect's role was to coordinate and drive the whole process. So that's been taken over by the rise of project managers. Yep, yep. Do you think it's fair to say that in the same way that open source software has certainly not diminished the need for computer programmers, it's probably increased that market, would that be the same for this type of open source design where... Uh, like you say, by increasing the size of the market quite dramatically, there's still going to be lots of design work out there for, for good designers? Oh, most definitely. I mean, that's one of our key goals is to be able to get good quality design into the hands of everyone who who can use it. And that's yeah. pretty much 100% of the population. So the, there's actually a greater need for design than we've ever had. And that's it, one of the, that's what frustrated me for so long is one of the first things to be undervalued in in the process. So how can we actually get the design tools and the design thinking into the marketplace to create outcomes that are far superior to what we're currently doing and actually go away to addressing the problems that we face globally? Can one of you um, define uh, WikiHouse for us? For those that haven't seen it, what, what is it? Yeah, so WikiHouse is about building a better way, um, changing the world by building a better way. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, what it enables is that for everybody can have a high performance um, building and an affordable high performance building. So even more important than that, you know, just that it's a high performance building. Even beyond that, it's a very interesting system which allows ordinary people in communities and neighbourhoods to be involved in not just the design of their built environment but actually to follow that all the way through 
to production um, in neighborhood-based facilities and then delivery. So the way it actually works um, is that there's a, a growing open source library, a central open source library in which there'll be a growing library of solutions that will be freely available for people to download and, and adapt to their own individual needs. Once they've got a design they're happy with, um, then they take it along to a local neighborhood-based manufacturing plant. could be in a, in a garage, actually. The double garage is big enough for the sort of machine that's required. And they take a set of cutting um, or printing sheets, almost, um, to that plant. And those get cut out on uh, something called a CNC router, commuter, computer numerical control router. And what comes out the other end is essentially like a giant IKEA kit, but for a house instead of a piece of furniture. <laughs> And that's where the fun really starts, because then you can involve um, a group of people on the ground as well to help put it, to, put it together. So it doesn't even require skilled people to be able to assemble that very high-performance building. And they can do it in a very, very short period of time. And the, even when the building's um, complete, um, then it's, it remains adaptable throughout its entire lifetime. So that um, if you need to add on extra space into your house, if you're a young couple and you get, um, you know, decide to have children, then it's very, very easy to extend the house that you've built. Um, if those children grow up further down the line and it's time for them to leave home, you can split off their part of the home, give it to them as a starter kit. You know, like you can have it at the end of the garden for the next three months, and after that, you're on your own. So it opens up all sorts of other interesting possibilities. So it's a little bit difficult to describe. Um, in audio, but hopefully that's giving you a little bit of a taste. And I think Danny had a couple of other points, wasn't it? No, no, I didn't. Yeah, okay. That well, yes. So I guess that's that kind of the, the, the short summary of, of we, what it We takes. will put some photos up, and, and people can find images quite easily by doing a quick search for WikiHouse, yeah. but you've also got your WikiHouse NZ uh, images and, and projects. Where Do any exist yet? Yes and no. So, um, the New Zealand project is kind of le leading the global project in terms of the technical innovation, in terms of the framework. Right. Most of the existing wiki houses around the world, the test ones, are not a lot more than a framework at the moment. There's some work being done on lining. Um, now, there, one, there is one exterior wiki house in the world in the north of England. So there's mm -hmm. one test example. It's a little bit of a hybrid, that one. Um, but there, there is one building outside. So we're, so the, the state of development we're at at the moment, the next big thrust of development is around the envelope. And we've got some really interesting ideas around the lining um, and cladding of the building and, and the quality of insulation. And then the next big thrust after that is to have a whole open system around the systems that plug into that. Now, we've done a fair bit of uh, research around that and the project is moving quite quickly because of the, the open nature and the sharing of those open ideas. Um, in terms of the, the Christchurch end of things or the New Zealand end of things, our major obstacle really is, is getting uh, some additional funding resources. Right. Um, so we're getting a very, very, we've got a fantastic team on board now. Uh, people are working flat out on this, but we're, we're, um, some financial resources to help us with a number of different issues on the project will definitely move so just, us forward. Yeah, just to clarify, it's all been done on volunteer basis so far. Um, so we've actually been able to achieve some amazing things on on very little, which uh, is quite typical of Kiwi startups in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. But um, to really, yeah, and, and and the impact we've made is is starting to get noticed, um, not just here but also around the world. 
uh, and as Martin said, we're leading in the project in, in quite a few areas now, in particular technical development, but also in the, the organisational social infrastructure to be able to scale this, to meet the needs that we talk about of delivering design, well-designed solutions to the other 98% of the market. Mm-hmm. What's, um, been, what's been your big success so far? It's, well, it's been absolutely fantastic in the last couple of weeks to get our, our project full-scale um, framework prototype design built in a, in a warehouse out in Aranui. I um, mean, that's been brilliant, really. <laughs> I think in terms of the, the project as a whole, I mean, the team that we've gathered together, I'm just blown away by um, the quality of the people we've got volunteering on this project um, and, the, and the level of sort of voluntary help and helping kind that we've been offered at this point in time has just been amazing. So I, I guess the sort of community we've built and... Yeah. And and yeah, the, the the level of to which we've got with with kind of a worn bootlace, really. <laughs> yeah, where, where's that? Where have you found that help? Where's it all come from? A variety of different uh, locations. So um, Health Two Thousand uh, are the people who've come on board to actually give us a little bit of seed funding, and they've had so much faith in this. So just with the first few little bits of bundles of money. Um, they've just said we don't even expect to see this back. We, we see your your social vision. We totally buy into your social vision and mm. what you're trying to achieve with this project. Um, Power Fenwick on the ground here. So Power Fenwick Consulting have mm-hmm. come on board and give us pro bono and given us pro bono engineering input, and that's been absolutely critical right. for us. Yeah. Um, and then Buddle Finlay more recently have come on board to give us some help um, for the legal assistance. Um, We've got a fantastic marketing team of volunteers. So Jane from um, Dynamics, what's the achievement, achievement Dynamics. Dynamics? You know, that's and um, uh, Carl Pavlitich from Design Works have been doing some fantastic work in terms of starting to build the community and manage the community, and also our marketing and branding stuff. Um, Fab Lab up in in Wellington have been just fantastic. Um, without their help, we we couldn't have cut the the current prototype. Yeah, no, they um, they were one of the key relationships that that came to the party. We we did um, talk to a few institutions and and found that most of them didn't actually have the facilities to enable this sort of thing to happen. And and then we discovered that Massey University up in Wellington had. A fab lab that's part of an international global network of fab labs that came out of an MIT program, and um, they bought into what we were doing and, and offered the use of their facilities to enable us to to construct this first prototype. So that's been invaluable in terms of being able to get something real on the ground, to be able to start to now test it, to to show it to people, to to make it. Um, a huge physical impact on mm, people mm. when they see it and stand in it. And that's just started to happen over the last couple of weeks. We've been able to show people what we've been talking about for the past 18 months and then the penny starts to drop that a few ordinary people can put this together with um, minimal... Well, all you need is a rubber mallet, essentially. Right. Where is that? That's uh, Massey University in Wellington. Right, so that's, um, that's uh, still up in Wellington. Oh, no, the prototype. That's... Yeah, the... Yeah, so that's down here now. So we shipped that down in in a thing called the Maker Crate, which is a little maker space, right? In in a shipping container. So there's, <laughs> I mean, there's a whole lot of creative stuff, as you're probably aware, happening down in Christchurch at the moment. So there's yep. a lot of cross fertilization between various groups doing some really amazing ground up initiatives, and the Maker Crate was another one of those, and and they were 
quite happy for us to put our house into a little box within their box <laughs> and ship it down. And, and um, then we've shown it around at a couple of places now, including a social housing forum. Uh, and now we're just assembling the fire. We, we assembled part of it for an exhibition in April up at uh, Tapapa, the Makatorium, which was the first uh, maker exhibit in um, New Zealand. The Makatorium. Yes. Excellent. And that was a fantastic way for us to launch the product. Um, yeah. So there was about six and a half thousand people came through the expo that day, right. and about nine thousand people. Um, there's a very amusing story actually to that, in that um, we put in a submission to to be part of the expo, the first national expo of the new maker movement around mm-hmm. the laser cutting and three D printing and all the rest of it. And um, about two weeks, I think, before the expo, they sent us the plan of you know where all the exhibitors are go- were going to be. Yep. And um, we had you know a stock sized exhibitor stand of about two meters by two meters and we right. had to bring them up and said um i don't think you wrote our some you know you really read our submission what we're planning to do is actually build a full-size building right, right. <laughs> you well, know, architectural movement. model yeah, yeah so. our maker movement is about actually create out of a maker space a small maker space actually the capacity to create a full-sized urban environment yeah. so know? that that was a when you you talk about a success that was a real milestone for us mm. in that that we um got something at full scale. We didn't actually assemble the full building. And it's only a 10 square metre footprint at the moment. But um, we assembled a partial building of it and sat there in the foyer of Tapapa and it, and it didn't look out of place. You know, <laughs> the scale was perfect for it. So it made a real impact. And, and then we went up later, a couple of months later, and, and cut the rest of the, the building. And then, as I said, we've shipped that down here and now starting to test and work out a, a cladding envelope for that. And then eventually that'll become our office that we can assemble and disassemble and move around town as, awesome. as part of showing what we do. So is that available for people to see now or are you you're sort of working on it at the moment? So we've just basically we, we wanted to just put it all together in, in a private location um, and test that it all works and, yeah. and everything checks out. We've got the engineers in to have a look and, and that sort of thing. So now what we're looking for is someone who'll um, offer us some space in an internal foyer or some something like that for a couple of months and have a public assembly launch event too. So we're in the process of uh, working out, you know, well, seeing if anyone's interested in, in doing that. And um, So if someone out there's got more than two square metres of space in a, <laughs> yeah. in a, space, in a foyer somewhere, yeah, would like so- an exciting new project. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, we're hoping that it can go on and uh, somewhere that the public can see it and, yeah. and interact with it, and and actually make you know get as much exposure as possible for this this way that we think can change the world. What's realistic, do you think, in the next um, say six to twelve months for Wiki House in Christchurch and the rest of New Zealand? Is it feasible that someone could live in one? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think we we kind of feel like we're on the edge of getting the resources that we want, but we have felt like that for the last year. <laughs> but given those resources, I think if someone backs us, um, we could move quite quickly, and we're probably best positioned out of any team, you know, as, as well positioned out of any team in the in the world to actually move quite quickly on this now. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely, you know, we're desperately trying to get to the stage where we can start to address the immediate need, the urgent need in, here in Christchurch in particular. What is, what's, what's the most urgent of those needs? 
I would say residential housing to get people out of um, completely. Garages and cars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So number of dwellings, like the, the need is just to get the houses built, is that? Yeah, high, high performance houses and also houses that um, are suited to the circumstances down mm-hmm. here that can cope with TC3 land. And also buildings that can be can, for, can be developed as rapidly as a temporary solution but can become part of a permanent long-term solution. Yeah, I guess, I guess for the next 6 to 12 months what we really like to see achieved is that we we prototype the um, the 10 square metre, which becomes our office. Then our next stage is what we call a backyard, which is, a, is around 40 to 60 square metres, which becomes a starter unit. But it starts to solve some of these problems too. And then the third part of that is to set up the first uh, neighbourhood or neighbourhood studio, we're calling it the neighbourhood manufacturing facility that, that can start producing these. So one of the great things that we proved to ourselves when we did the Makatorian exhibit up at Massey is, or at, at, at Papa out of the Massey Fab Lab is that you can actually create and build a whole high-performance urban environment out of one of these spaces that is no bigger than a double garage. So when you get your head around that concept, it's quite amazing to think that, that you could build a city or rebuild a city using not much in terms of resources and technology. So it's not so much a technology solution that, that we're proposing. It's about changing the way we think about how we do things and building a community is one of the, the most important things because the community can then build the houses themselves rather than having to rely on outside sources to provide what they need themselves to, to have a meaningful existence. So is that the scalability a result of... Um, it, the fact that it's a replicable uh, base unit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so these workshops, um, they're not particularly, they shouldn't be particularly expensive to set up um, in time, and you can actually distribute those throughout a, a, a larger city. And, and in many ways, actually, if you look at the bigger global picture um, that we're trying to address with the WikiHouse project, is that actually, potentially, we have no other choice other than to do to, to, to do some sort of assisted model of self-delivery. Mm-hmm. So the bigger picture here is that in the next 40 to 50 years, we have to build as much urban development globally as currently exists. And that is just mind-blowing. Say that again? In the next 40 to 50 years, we have to build as much urban development as currently exists. And that oh, is wow. mind-blowing. That is absolutely mind-blowing. Now, that development is actually taking place. But the way in which it's taking place is by people who don't have the, the good tools to do it. So it takes place as um, slums, basically, and favelas. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we're not careful, even within New Zealand, we can actually see the possibility that if we don't find better ways, um, you know, as I say, this this third model of assisted self-delivery or social enterprise is, is the, the way that we would classify it, then we're in serious trouble, actually, because the existing private market, even when it was operating perfectly, couldn't deliver that. And the government sure as hell doesn't have that, that sort of level of resources to, to achieve that, to, to meet that gap. How will WikiHouse deliver that, given that the, there are prefab solutions out there that exist already? People make houses inside sheds or they make big chunks of houses inside sheds that uh, code compliant and they're out there in the marketplace right now. What's different about WikiHouse that um, promises a, a, a step change in 
um, provision of, of housing? So we, we've got a, all the way along the, the value chain or the delivery of that value chain is the open source ability for people to engage at any point in that, should they so choose. And mm -hmm. that's provides them with the opportunity to firstly empower themselves by being involved directly in the process of the the end result that they have to live with. Mm -hmm. uh, but it also allows them to reduce the cost by putting in sweat equity at various stages or by giving them sophisticated tools to allow them to to take care of their own solutions. Yep. It, it creates a great efficiency in economy and, and, a, and a, it, that's what makes it a social enterprise yep. rather yep. than a commercial enterprise. Yes, commercially it needs to, to be sustainable, but we, are, we always ask what more can we deliver? What more can we do? What can we do socially and environmentally as well as our three core areas of focus so we you know to, to us we call it the triangle so you focus on your social your environmental and your economic sustainability as equal partners in the equation and no one of those is more important than the other so that's that point of difference we offer in, in delivering that greater value in terms of the system we've got it's far stronger safer uh, healthier and warmer and, and the ability to perform far outperform and if we can get it to a point where it's comparable cost-wise to traditional construction we believe that can create a paradigm shift in in the way we build. I think a lot of the other solutions are still thinking quite in quite traditional ways many of them are thinking about centralized production for a start mm. and we think that's going to be increasingly a big issue because your transport costs so up until now, we've been able to rely on very, very cheap transport costs so we can bring resources from all over the place, have some massive centralised production and then send the, the resulting goods all over the place relatively cheaply. This, that, that's you know, um, an opportunity that's closing down very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you know, a lot of these mo other models are still thinking very traditionally in the sense that um, the resulting building still relies on builders to build it or heavy plant and things like that. So the Wikihouse system allows unskilled people, um, ordinary everyday people, to assemble these high-performance buildings. And, and it's, it goes back to the sort of days when we had communal barn raising. So the community themselves can actually build and maintain these buildings. With a lot of the other prefab systems, what we're saying is um, that you still need like a crane on site and some builders. And, and also once you've built it, it's very hard to take apart again. Um, I think also there's some things which are difficult to describe, again, in audio format. Yeah. But, for example, we've taken a completely different look at the way the building is built. So pretty much every other system on the market still puts the joints in the building, the main junctions, um, at the weakest point. So where the walls meet the roof and where the, the, the main wall elements meet the floor element. We've removed those joints completely. So I think there's, there's a number of differentiators in the WikiHouse uh, model. Um, that, that um, enables it to succeed where some of these other ideas aren't, aren't going to succeed, I think. And that's not to say there isn't some very good ideas in some of them, but I think the WikiHouse model is a, is a package, you know, in many different as that has many different aspects to it, many different dimensions that those other products don't have. In particular, they don't usually have that capacity to empower the people who are, who are involved in using, you know, the end user in, in anything like the same way. So and, guess, you, and you think you can ultimately achieve passive house level of performance in a, essentially a DIY project? 
Absolutely. Um, so these are the sort of standards that we're looking at, and this is one of our main approaches in terms of addressing the affordability issue. So one thing with WikiHouse we're particularly interested in is not just talking about that through the door price, which in many ways is actually one of your, your lowest costs, <laughs> and actually looking at that whole... Is in the, up, the upfront buy, buy price? Yeah, yeah, because I think in, in many cases people stretch themselves the limit to get that uh, sort of low um, and, and are obsessed with this low cost per meter through the door yep. price. Yep. But then they end up with a building that costs them huge amounts of money further down the line in the maintenance costs and in particular heating and lighting costs. So health health costs as well, insurance costs because the buildings aren't very strong. Totally. Well designed. Um, The adaptability costs, if you ever try to renovate an existing house, it becomes far more expensive than building a new house. But with our system, they're easily designed to be easily adaptable. So you can add on and, and subtract at, at a far more efficient rate. You just and need so to find someone with a with a the, your local CNC machine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and certainly, I mean, we, I mean, we may not, we may or may not actually go down the passive house routes, but that's the sort of performance we're looking at. And for people who aren't familiar with that, um, say for a hundred meters, hundred square meter house, you, you wouldn't want um, higher than say one hundred and fifty dollars for the whole year for heating and lighting that. And obviously, those costs be, can be covered by a relatively low cost solar installation, for example, or yeah. other other ways of addressing that. So basically, you're trying to look at a building that actually um, not only does it not actually cost you anything to run at all. But potentially makes you money. It's uh, sitting in the sun. It can actually bring in an income from your neighbours in their poorly performing homes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, now, one thing we haven't talked about, or I haven't um, sort of asked you about um, before the interview, was about thermal mass. And I, I gather that it's it's a, it's all timber frame, from what I can see. Yeah. Have you thought about getting thermal mass into the building? Yeah, sure. The uh, what what we try to use with our design philosophy is um, permaculture principles. So for each element, it, it should have three purposes. So with um, water, we uh, look at having water harvesting into tanks that you can retro you can fit into the gaps at the bottom of the floor. So first, you have your potable water storage. Secondly, that provides a thermal mass, and thirdly, that provides a a ballast for um, your wind loadings on the site. So using those type of thing, uh, phase change materials are, are another area that we're looking at. Uh, how do you store thermal mass through a phase change system? So look, again, looking at all these clever ideas that are developing overseas and ways of doing things. Someone was telling us just um, the other day about these cubes of energy that can store <laughs> massive amounts of energy using an, another form of phase change. So looking at, at how we can incorporate technologies like that, but also ways of thinking too to, to address with issues. So, right. so one of the other in materials be, we've been uh, fascinated by is hempcrete. Um, it's available here. There's a new um, young startup in Christchurch um, producing this product. The mm-hmm. hemp itself is grown up in the Waikato. Mm-hmm. And it's a very, very interesting material, so somewhat less dense than concrete, and you can mix it on site or cast it off-site to a range of different densities to suit your needs. Um, it has the same sort of um, better, better soundproofing um, qualities than concrete, so quite often interfloor 
buildings, even timber buildings sometimes use um, concrete to achieve that. Uh, it has the same sort of resi uh, fire resistance, um, immune to damp and breathable and all these other qualities. But one of its most interesting qualities is that it release any passively stored solar energy over a much longer cycle than concrete, even though it's less dense. There so we're are. looking at some really interesting materials in that sort of space. Wow. Fascinating stuff. Um, and I gather that you guys could carry on talking about this for quite some time. So, <laughs> yeah, as I said earlier, we've only just started. <laughs> I may have to get you back on the show further down track because I get the sense that this is only the beginning of the journey for both you guys, the team that you're creating in the community, not just in Christchurch, but globally as well. So it sounds like a very exciting journey. Yeah. Um, quick um, question before we go from each of you, have you got a, a book recommendation or something that has inspired each of you? So for me, it uh, was The Natural House book by David Pearson, which uh, when I was studying architecture at university 20 years ago became my Bible on uh, how we can create houses that are healing, natural and, and non-toxic. And for me, it's kind of a little bit of a cheat, but... Um, it's a, built, it's a publication that actually came out of the Global WikiHouse project. So Alistair Parvin, um, who's one of the global co-founders, and three other people put together a publication called A Right to Build. And I think for me it's a really important read around the, the, the wider context of WikiHouse and how it provides a, quite a different potential solution to affordable, high-performance um, build environment for everybody. Awesome. awesome. Thank you, guys. And I'll, I'll put links up to those and some of the other... Uh, products you mentioned as well and it would also be great to do a shout out to all the the people that supported you so far as well so i'll put links to those um, organizations as well in the show notes for, for the one episode. extra one i'd like to add into that was duke and timber who gave us all the timber for producing right. our actual prototypes yeah great now where can people connect with you and find out more about WikiHouse? so our um social enterprise is called Spacecraft Systems and the website is spacecraft.co.nz and that's the um, WikiHouse NZ lab as well. Um, <clears throat> the global project is just wikihouse.cc and uh, we also have a regular weekly meetup which you can find on meetup.com slash wikihouse hyphen nz and WikiHouse NZ on Twitter. <laughs> yes. Wiki, yeah. Let's not forget Twitter. Where no, it all started. No, where it all started. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Hey, well, thank you very much, guys. Uh, been an absolute pleasure. And it sound, it's, looks great from the photos when I first saw it. I thought this is really something exciting that's going on in Christchurch. So well done. I know how, from personal experience that it's pretty tough down there, but I think this is a great example of where something's rising out of all that and is a really positive project and fantastic that the, the world is watching and also contributing as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we, um, it's totally consumed us now. <laughs> and I don't think there's any escape anytime soon, but right. you know, for me, it's one of the most enjoyable things I've ever done and I'm hoping to continue it for and a long time. So awesome. it's been a pleasure to talk to it. To you about it yeah yeah we love sharing it with with whoever is I interested can, i can tell i can tell and and look we, we will keep watching it so thanks very much for your time and right. uh we will keep in touch yeah. all right thanks Thank a you. lot
Wow. Well, there you go. That was Martin Luff and Danny Squires talking from Christchurch about WikiHouse NZ. And I um, I was a bit reluctant to cut them off, uh, uh, but I know that it was getting long, so I did need to wind that up. But gee, those, they're very passionate and that is awesome stuff and definitely really keen to find out how they progress. I have no doubts that they are going to take this project somewhere very exciting. So we will keep on the lookout. Now, I might have mentioned at the start that coincidentally they appeared on TV3 News just tonight. And I will put a link to that video on the show notes and on the website. Clearly, they are making waves and people are starting to take notice, which is awesome. Now, very quickly, because we are coming up to the 45-minute mark, um, three, and gee, there were lots in there, but I've tried to pull out three key points. Firstly, changing the world by design or using design to change the world. At the beginning of the interview, it sounded like a bit of a sort of a high-flying comment, but by the end, really started to believe that that is possible with, with design and not just design of houses. This project encompasses so much more than just house design. So I think that is something that, as designers and even builders, that I truly do believe that you have the opportunity to change the world uh, through those skills and through the processes and, and bringing people together in particularly in that collaborative design uh, type of environment. Um, the comment that Martin made there about in the next 40 to 50 years we will need as much urban development as what currently exists. That is quite staggering. If you think of all the buildings, all the cities, all the infrastructure that exists, we're going to have to double that or at least replicate some of it and, and build more of it. Um, that is quite mind-blowing. And when you consider the rate at which some of that has been built, things will need to step up, you might say, uh, in terms of the the pace of, of uh, construction. But how do we do that and maintain quality uh, along the way and, and, and improve quality, really, which is what needs to be done clearly in, in a lot of, New Zealand anyway, and also over the, uh, across, the, across the globe. And obviously connectivity was a big uh, topic uh, in this episode, and this whole project relies on the interconnectedness of ideas and the use of social media, use of technology across the board, not just in the nuts and bolts and the, the hard stuff, but sharing the ideas and, and communicating, the project management, and bringing people together, inspiring people as well. Um, that's probably a third point. It wasn't the one I had listed down. The third one I had listed down here was permaculture and that concept of each element having at least three purposes. And I've thought about that. I mean, we've talked in the show a bit about biomimicry before and most plants or, or um, parts of plants and, and even um bodies and animals in in nature have more than one purpose in individual parts so we don't tend to do that in our buildings they have all bespoke purposes but um, if those can have more than one purpose then that adds a whole new dimension to design lots in there and i'm going to put lots of links up in the show notes might take a while to get get all this in there but let's keep an eye on these guys and we'll we'll keep in touch with this project and do check out those websites as well. I'll put all the links and uh, information there. 
Have a great week. I've got loads of stuff uh, coming up and also some other exciting interviews lined up. So excited to bring those to you in the coming weeks. And if you do have some questions, please do fire them through. Comments at Homestyle Green. We'd love to hear from you. And do leave a comment there on iTunes if you can as well. That would be awesome to help grow our growing community. I am Matthew Cutler-Welsh. It's been a pleasure. And we'll talk to you again next week on Homestyle Green.